Mark My Words shares Mark Homer's contrarian views on investing, business, finance, economics, and all things money. Mark interviews the world's most successful business, finance, and money experts, as well as imparting his knowledge in a factual, direct, and no-nonsense manner. Welcome to Mark My Words, and here is your host, Mark Homer. Hello and welcome to my podcast. This is Mark Homer. I've spent the last 10 years investing in residential property and I've turned it into uh, my main passion. After having bought several hundred single lets for ourselves and, and investors, I moved into commercial conversions and, and development projects. And really, I, I'd say I'm a, a student of economics. I find the whole study of economics and money fascinating. I still love listening to audio books and reading The Economist and, and, and reading the FT and everything that relates to economics I find interesting. For me, economics is the centre of what we do every day. It's how companies and countries run. And that's why I'm so interested in economics. What I'm going to talk about today specifically is how to hedge against interest rate rises, specifically in terms of property. Obviously, when we go out and we buy new investment properties, we're always looking to leverage them. So we're looking to borrow money against the value of the property. And it's quite typical, certainly in today's market, that we buy a property and we borrow, let's say, 75% of the value of that property so that we only have to put 25% of the, the value of the property down as a deposit. When we end up buying that property, we then take rent from it and we pay the mortgage with the rent. Clearly, your returns can be enhanced by borrowing money because any given amount of capital growth is multiplied several times over if you've borrowed money against the purchase of a property. So let's say you, you put a 20% deposit down, you borrow 80% of the value of the property and the property goes up 10%. Well, ordinarily, it would go up 10%, which, you know, if you'd bought the property cash with your 20 grand, that would be a £2,000 increase. But what you've done is borrow 80,000, put it towards your 20,000, and you've bought a £100,000 property. And therefore, a 10% growth has made you £10,000 that year instead of £2,000. So leverage is our friend as long as it's used wisely. I like to, to leverage all properties that we buy for investment purposes. They're nearly always rented out. So the rent pays the, the mortgage and hopefully there's, there's some left over afterwards. And really, that's the game we're in as, as property investors. The way I measure the percentage return you get from a, a, a property that's been leveraged, i.e. borrowed against, is with return on capital invested. Clearly, if we'd bought a property for 100,000 and we'd put the full 100,000 pounds in, it gone up 10%, well, the return would be 10%. But actually, if we only put 20,000 down because we borrowed 80,000, well, the return is then multiplied up. And if we're we're getting a, a £20,000, well, then clearly the return is multiplied up. And clearly, if we're getting a, a £10,000 return on a £20,000 investment, that is a 50% return on capital invested. That is the metric that I'm most interested in, return on capital invested. The amount of money you get out 
versus the amount of cash, hard cash, your own money, equity that you've put into the investment. So cash out versus cash in. I think that's the most important metric. So obviously we're borrowing against these properties and we need to to control, hedge, reduce the risk of interest rate rises affecting our, our property portfolio and our financial well-being. There's, there's a few ways in which you can do this. I've got eight specific ways that I'm going to run through now that we use in order to protect ourselves against the Chancellor or the, the MPC, the Monetary Policy Committee at the Bank of England, pushing rates up really high like they did in the, the late 80s. So I think your first defense against higher interest rates is really by buying the correct type of property. When you buy the right type of property, you certainly defend yourself against massive interest rate rises, or should I say, you defend yourself against having to pay much higher mortgage payments because interest rates have shot up. So if I give you an example, if you went and bought a single let in Mayfair, let's say, and it yielded 2%, you know, and you're, you've borrowed money, and the money you've borrowed is, say, 4%, obviously you're not going to get a particularly high loan-to-value mortgage. The, the percentage of the property value that you, you manage to borrow will be quite low. But if you have a, an interest rate increase, it's going to affect your income in a, in a greater way than if you went and bought a small single let in a higher yielding area. Let's say most extreme example might be Barrow in Furness that I went to last week. You know, when we went to, to Barrow, I saw properties there that were yielding 20%. So if you've got a, an income of 20% on the value of the property, well, if interest rates go from kind of 4 to 10%, well, you've still got a good margin there to, to cover the extra interest payments and to protect yourself financially. So I think buying the right type of higher yielding property is one of the best defences against higher interest rates. Clearly there we've dealt with single lets, but we can also look at other types of property you might decide to go and find HMOs. And HMOs are traditionally much higher yielding. If we're in Peterborough, I'd look at HMOs at 12, 13, 14, 15% gross, which is a much better return than you'd be able to get from a single let. Clearly, there are more costs with a HMO. There's, there's gas, there's electric, there's council tax. So quite a bit's going to come off that. But you're still usually left with a much higher cash flow. And therefore, if interest rates go up, then that'll reduce that cash flow but you're a lot less likely to get yourself into a position where you're not able to cover the mortgage and you're going to have to start subsidising the investment from other income. HMOs are, are great for investors that have probably bought two or three single lets already. They're something that investors generally do a little bit later down the road. They take more management and you're going to want to spend more time refurbing them and you're going to need to buy furniture. So it's not a strategy to be taken lightly, but it's a strategy that can generate great cash flow and clearly defend you, yourself against those risks, which, of course, none of us know exactly you know, when those risks are going to materialise or when they're going to uh, create issues for you and what exactly they're going to be. But I think cash flow is, 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 is the best way to defend yourself against higher interest rates, but, but also a, a lot of other issues that may come along. Example, recently George Osborne has introduced some uh, 
some kind of anti-landlord measures, HMOs are, are less affected by what he's doing because, you know, you, you're not able to offset all the mortgage interest against the rent. Well, that's less relevant with a HMO than it is with a single let. The second way I would look to negate the impact of interest rate rises in the future would also be to get a little bit of forward guidance on where interest rates are likely to go. I think it's really interesting to read the Bank of England's inflation report. The the Monetary Policy Committee at the Bank of England generate this inflation report and in there you can see exactly what the MPC believe is happening in terms of inflation. And as inflation is the the biggest driver of interest rates, i.e. interest rates are are there to to stoke or, or control inflation traditionally, the inflation report gives you the, the, the best idea of where rates are likely to go. In there, it'll talk about current inflation, where it's coming from, what wage growth's like, you know, whether manufacturing prices are increasing, whether there's other issues within the economy or you know, what's happening to oil and what's happening to commodities, all these things that go into the basket to make up that inflation rate. And if inflation is relatively subdued, and more importantly, the outlook over two two years, three years out is subdued for inflation, that means interest rates are likely to be lower. If the risk is to the upside in terms of higher inflation and the, the, the MPC believe that inflation is going to pick up, then often they'll look to start raising interest rates early because it, it's often thought that the effect of interest rate changes, i.e. rises or or falls, takes a couple of years to work its way through the system. So they're always looking ahead, forecasting, you know, at least a year, two years out. So that inflation report will give you some early warning against what's going to happen um, or likely to happen in the future, because all these interest rate predictions... You know, you read them in the Daily Mail, you see them in the the Daily Express and all these kind of places that talk about higher interest rates or, you know, changes to to interest rates that are are likely to come in the future. Of course, they are just predictions. And actually, history has told me that most of them are usually wrong. So to put a precise number on it is very, very difficult. But you can obviously see the, the trajectory and you can see the likely path from the inflation report. And I think it is important to read the re- inflation report rather than taking your information from secondary sources like newspapers, because a lot of the journalists don't know what they're talking about. And they 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 read things, they hear things, they repeat things from other media sources. They put their own spin on it. They don't always know what they're talking about. And because of that, you don't necessarily get a clear picture when you read those those newspapers. So it's important to go to the source, to the people who really understand what's going on. Another good place to to get that that forward guidance on where interest rates might be going would be um, from the market. Obviously, there's a market that banks use in London for buying money over a period of time. So they might be able to, or they can buy money for three years, four years, five years, 10 years, you know, as a, as a fixed rate. And obviously, if the trajectory is to the upside, where you've got three, four, five, 10 year money going up, 10 year fixed rate money going up, then that would indicate that the market believes, and that's probably the best guess, the market believes the interest rates are likely to go up over that that given period. Good place to find that information is swap 
swap-rates.com. That's swap-rates.com. Very, very good website, you know, for looking at forward rates and, and working out where the market believes interest rates are, are going to go. The third and probably most obvious way to protect yourself against interest rate rises is to fix the rate which your bank charges. You can go and get a fixed rate mortgage, a buy-to-let mortgage or a commercial mortgage, and you can fix them for three years, four years, five years, ten years. You know, Lloyds will even write you a 20-year fix. And it's something I've done in the past. I don't do quite so many of them these days, but certainly for people who need that certainty, need to know exactly what they're paying every month and need to understand what the, um, you know, what the cash flow is going to be, you know, across a pretty tight range. Fixed rates might be the best option. Of course, they cost more. There is a cost to effectively insuring yourself against interest rate rises. If you look back through history, variable rates have over the long term proven cheaper than fixed rate products because there is a cost to that insurance. And of course, banks, they will play and sell products based on people's fears about things happening that maybe aren't as likely to happen as, as, as the consumer believes. And therefore, they get a a reasonable margin for those fixed rates. What I would say is, though, now is a particularly good time to to fix rates because the the market projections at the moment are that interest rates are going to remain low at least for another couple of years. Could be three years. You know, God, we've pretty much had them low for 10 years now. and, and, And Japan is in a similar situation. And there's some people saying it could be five or 10 years before we have interest rates anything like what they were in the the mid 2000s so so now at the moment fixed rates are are cheap they're 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 cheap against any measure of time you know whether you're looking through the, the 90s 80s 70s or before they are very very cheap and there are lots of banks offering fixed rates because there are there's lots of fixed rate money available on the wholesale market now we're out of the credit crunch one word of caution with fixed rates and, and trusting any bank entirely would be the, the case of West Bromwich. There are a lot of people who took tracker mortgages out with West Bromwich or what they thought were trackers. And as interest rates have reduced, West Bromwich have decided to turn around and say, well, actually, you know, we, we sold you a, a tracker rate product. But in these terms and conditions, it says that we can put you on a different rate, maybe the standard variable rate. And they've been to court and they've actually won that case. So whilst it says fixed rate on the tin, and I must say, I haven't seen many cases where banks have reneged on, on, um, on such mortgages. There are a few stories where, um, where banks have gone back on their word. You know, maybe when the back's really against the wall, the bank's maybe about to go bust or has gone bust, then they find ways to wriggle out of things through legal loopholes. We had another bank in our office uh, a few months ago. They went bust within the last two or three years. And they'd written us what I thought was a 10-year tracker rate. That was what was sold to me uh, verbally and um, on a lot of the paperwork that we received. But actually, they've, they've, they've since been bought by another bank and they don't really want our loan anymore. Um, they came in to ask for the money back, but they couldn't get it as Rob and I had kept all our covenants. We'd always paid them on time. The loan to value was in the covenant and the, the, the rental income was as well. So they just said to me, well, we're going to put the interest rate up and we can because there's this little clause in the, um, 
in the mortgage agreement that allows us to do that. Of course, I was pretty horrified. In the end, I think we just accepted it and let them put half a percent on because I didn't really want to get embroiled with an LPA receiver or a, a solicitor. And uh, we had to go with it. So, so what I'd say is just remain flexible. Fixed rates are, are very good. In the main, they work. But obviously, it's important to have other routes to protect yourself against interest rate rises. And I'm giving you some of those now. It's important not just to, to rely on those fixed rates because things can happen. The fourth method I'm going to talk about is self-insuring. And this is probably my favorite method out of all of the, the options. And really, that's just taking a, a mortgage out on a, a variable or on a tracker rate. Let's say you're paying 2%. And at the same time, making a note of what a five-year fixed rate might be. And let's say at the moment, that's 3.5%. Saying to yourself, okay, I'm going to take the, the tracker rate out at 2%, but I'm going to pay 1.5%, the difference between the variable and the fixed rate, into a bank account each month. So effectively, you're self-insuring. So what you're doing is keeping some cash flow aside, you're keeping some, some capital, building up some capital in it, a bank account. And what that's there for is the rainy day where interest rates go up quicker and higher than rents and you can't cash flow the, the investment. I like that principle because if you look back through time, yes, fixed rates have protected people when interest rates have shot up, especially in the late 80s. But actually, what usually happens is interest rates then fall over the medium term and rents eventually catch up. So what you're actually doing is just cash flowing and, and looking after the investment for the period where interest rates are that much higher than the, the, the rental income that you're receiving. So you're effectively just, it's like a stopgap. And I think if you self-insure in that way, you'll probably end up with a big pot of money, which you'll end up uh, managing to just keep and use for further investments because often it, it's not needed, but it's it's obviously there in the long run if you need it. Having cash is also very, very flexible as well. Cash is, um, you know, you can use it for all sorts of different things. It might not be interest rates that cause the problem. It could be something else that, you know, happens to your portfolio. And having a good lump of cash aside is probably the best way to protect yourself and get yourself out of those sticky situations. Because, of course, we want to be in this for the long term, playing the long game, going down the long road. That keeps you making the most money over the long term. You know, we're journeymen here at Progressive. Rob and I believe in, in the ideal investment period being the whole of your life. And if you... Um, if, you, if you're following that principle, one of the, the, the things which is going to enable you to, 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 to push that far ahead and, and keep going through the bad times is keeping plenty of cash around you. Self-insuring is, is, is almost a mindset for me. I don't just use the principle with interest rates. I, I, I follow that principle with all sorts of, of different things in my life. Um, there are insurances for everything. And of course, we've got to have car insurance because it's a legal requirement. And we've got to have buildings insurance because the bank makes us. And for those two things, well, you know, I think they're a good idea because they can be pretty catastrophic if it goes wrong. But there are lots of things which we'd buy insurance for, which I don't actually think are a good deal. 
For example, you might get pet insurance, which often doesn't pay out because, you know, maybe little 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 Monty had a, a, a scrape last year and you, you forgot to declare it on the form and the insurance, the insurer wriggles out of it. There are all sorts of insurers, as we've seen, for payment protection cover. You know, that's the latest scandal, but there's all sorts of new insurances which are similar to that which people take on, out on a daily basis, which I don't think are good value for money. You know, might be insuring a, a washing machine or, a, a, you know, a domestic appliance or um, something you buy from Curry's or Comet. Comet's not there anymore, I'm showing my age. But you, you know what I mean? There's all these little add-ons that you can buy, these extended warranties, which actually I think are, are really bad value for money. I think if you self-insure on all these items, then I think you're going to end up with a much better deal. I think you're always going to pay yourself when you need to claim because you're the effectively the underwriter and the person who decides whether you're going to make the insurance payout. Uh, and it probably keeps you, makes you a little bit more careful as well because you know it's going to effectively be your money paying out should something go wrong. So I don't think self-insuring for the right risks is a is a bad policy and it's some certainly something which which i which i follow only only last year we had a, a claim on a, a property um you know and this was a lady that had caused issues and she'd um, she caused loads of damage in a property and we put it to the insurance company and they managed to wriggle out of it for a couple of reasons and then they reduced the the size of the claim because they said that the um well, they initially, only last year, we, we tried to make a, a claim on an insurance policy. I remember in our portfolio a few years ago, we tried to make an in, insurance claim on our policy. And it was for some damage in a property and some, some theft. And the insurer tried to wriggle out of it, saying the property had been empty for too long. And, and before that, they tried to say, oh, the property was uninsured and they were going to reduce the, the, the payout by X percentage because it wasn't insured for the correct amount. And then they tried to throw some other things in our way. And I just find there's always this game when you come to, to try and claim on one of these policies. And it, it seems to be, how can the insurer get out of, of paying the claim and for me that is um, you know not a particularly good way to, um, to to run your financial affairs I think if you you in, ensure for you know the, the the minimal kind of basic most let's let's say the the big risks which really would hurt you if they went wrong and then leave the others and self-insure them I think you'll be on a good road. Another way to protect yourself against interest rate rises is an insurance policy, which will effectively pay out if interest rates go over a certain level. These types of policies are available through banks such as Lloyd's. Often they want you to take a mortgage through them, but they're effectively transferable to other loans. And you can just keep these, these policies running over a period of time. And, you know, they'll say something like if interest rates go over 3% or, you know, if interest rates go up more than 1%, then they will pay you the difference out on the amount insured between the, the, the rate agreed and the amount it goes over that rate. So there's, there's quite a lot of value in taking that out if you need flexibility and you know you're going to want to redeem those loans, but you're going to want to keep the insurance you know, for the long term and, and use it effectively with other debt. 
the flip side to those policies is also if the market goes the right way and you want to get rid of them, you can often take a, a lump sum, which is, um, you know, more money for investment. If the market goes the right way, you win. And if uh, the market goes the wrong way, you you lose. So I, I think they're quite flexible. I quite like some of those insurance policies. And I think if you've got a lot of debt, that's probably a good way to hedge against it. Thanks for listening. This is actually part one of a two-part series on how to protect yourself against interest rate rises. If you want to see more of me or read some of my insights, I'm on Facebook. If you type in Mark Homer, I've got two profiles. There's my personal one and then there's Mark Homer, business person. Or just go on www.progressiveproperty.co.uk and you can find more out about me.